Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Our gathering meditation on this day is in honor of Earth Day. It is to celebrate Earth Day. So we will listen to the story of the creation from Genesis 1. And if you are inclined, you may look at the images on the screen I feel like we should just break down the wall, like it's all silly to do this inside. But here we are. Here is the good news from Genesis 1 from the message. First, this. God created the heavens and the earth, all you see, all you don't see. The earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light, and the light appeared And God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. God saw that it was good. God spoke sky in the middle of the waters, separate water from water. God made sky. God separated the water under the sky from the water above the sky. God saw that it was good. God spoke, separate water beneath heaven, gather into one place, land appear. And there it was. God spoke, earth green up. Grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree, and there it was. God saw that it was good. God spoke, lights come out. Shine in heaven's sky, separate day from night. Mark seasons and days and years. Lights in heaven's sky to give light to earth. And there it was. God saw that it was good. God spoke, swarm ocean with fish. And all sea life. 
Birds fly through the sky over earth. God saw that it was good. God spoke earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals of every kind. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. And there it was. God looked over everything God had made. And it was so good, so very good. And God blessed this seventh day. God made this a holy day. Because on that day, God rested from all work, all the creating God had done. Let us behold in silence together. Welcome to the wonderful season that we call Eastertide. Over the next seven Sundays, including today and going all the way through the celebration of Pentecost, we are going to be coming alive. Every Sunday, we're going to explore one of these seven incredible marks of vitality. There's a picture of every one of them on the wall around you. We're tracking these marks as part of our Vital Congregations initiative, and vitality, of course, means being alive. In the widest sense, that is what Easter is about. Easter is a coming alive. Easter is our sharing with Christ in the resurrection life. The love that resurrected Christ is with you. It is inside of you, not only in the life that is to come, but right this very minute, every single day, you are asked, you are invited, you are expected to dwell in that love, to relish it, to luxuriate in it, 
to embrace the good news of resurrection, you are to borrow a wonderful phrase from the poet Wendell Berry, you are to practice resurrection. You have received a love in your life that resurrects the dead. You should never settle for lesser loves. Barry writes in that amazing poem, that mischievously seditious poem, Men work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. As I sat this week thinking about what it means for us as just this humble little church community on the corner of Decatur, right? Inside of me. So do a thought experiment with me this morning, right? Take a trip with me. Risen Christ appeared to the women, appeared to your group. Amazing. Confounding. What do you do? I mean, you have to keep on going. Like, what does breakfast look like the day after resurrection? What does it look like to raise your kids in the resurrection? What does work look like in the resurrection? Do you just go back to normal? Maybe everything's just a little sparklier? We have a picture in the scriptures, a wonderful picture from this very moment in the book of Acts. It's nothing, but he's now gone. Disciples have just been visited by this crazy wind called the Holy Spirit. And we watch them now as they're first forming a community that is practicing resurrection. Here's what Acts says they looked like. What did that look like? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and gentle will of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That is the word of God for you, the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. So what did they do? What did they do? the day after the resurrection? What did practicing resurrection look like? What did you hear? Fellowship, yes, fellowship. Uh, Breaking bread together, specifically uh, something that was named. What else? Sharing. Sharing what? (laughs) Sharing kind of everything. At least they're good selling things so that what? so that no one had a need. What else did they do? Ah, yeah, there was some teaching going on and ostensibly probably some learning, right? Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread together, uh, 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 sharing their goods, and let's not forget the prayers. 
This is a magical moment in the scriptures. To me, it's like a linchpin moment in our whole Christian tradition because God raised Jesus. Yes, God raised Jesus. But how did these folks who had seen something so sublime and yet so unbelievable, how did they get other people to buy it? How? You know, I go on vacation, and occasionally we have a marvelous vacation, and I come back and I say, I'm going to live differently now. I'm going to hold the magic of the Grand Canyon in my heart, and I'm just going to live that magic all the time. And within a few days, I'm grumpy because there's a Grand Canyon of laundry lying on the bed, right? Like, life goes back to normal pretty quick. But these disciples, by the leading of the Spirit, figured out how to practice resurrection. And that way of life that they they fell into was so luminous and so compelling and yes, so full of life that the people who saw them said, yeah, I want me some of that. What they figured out was how to be a community of formation. Say it with me, community of formation. They figured out how to be a community of formation. Do you know what I mean by formation? Is that a word that you think about a lot? It should be. It's powerful. Formation is how we become ourselves. We're not made. We don't roll off an assembly line in a factory. We are formed. You are always in a process of formation. From your birth, your parents form you. We saw that this morning, right? Family forms us. Our parents, their presence, their absence, their caring, their flaws form us. Siblings form us if we have them, the push-pull of sibling love and rivalry. Neighborhoods and geography form us. What and who we see when we walk out the door in the morning. Economics form us, whether we have enough or too much or too little, how we secure the basics of life. Culture forms us. The movies and the books and the TV shows, the ideas that circulate in our world, that forms us. Schools form us. What do we learn? With whom do we learn? What and whom is left out of our learning? And of course, our faith forms us too. The stories that we tell together, the people who frame our understanding of the biggest questions. Who am I? What am I here for? What's the point of all of this life? These powers and these processes of formation are at work around you all of the time. Are you aware of what's forming you right now? Are you aware of what's forming your children? To what extent have you chosen what will form you and what powers or processes might be trying to malform you? Hmm. I know this process of formation may sound abstract, but it's not. Your formation determines the shape of your humanity what kind of person you are. And so much of this formation boils down to one thing. It's what you are formed to love. Now, I don't love St. Augustine. You probably know that by now. But 
one of the most beautiful and enduring ideas that he left with us is that you and I become what we love. We become what we love. God made us to love, right? That's what we believe. We, we believe that God created us so that we could love and be loved. It's what we're born to do. And we're supposed to love God and love our neighbors and love ourselves, but it mm, doesn't always work out that way exactly, does it? Sin. We know a little bit about that. Sin creeps in and it convinces us to love things that we should not love. It prevents us from loving things that we should love. Our desires kind of become a little distorted. And when our desire becomes distorted, our formation goes off track. The Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith wrote a wonderful book about this a couple years ago. I commend it to you. It's called Desiring the Kingdom. And in discussing the formation of desire, Smith uses the example of a shopping mall. Anyone ever been to a shopping mall? Do they exist anymore? Right? He talks about a shopping mall that's full of... You see it in your mind, right? You're in the food court right now. In the shopping mall, it's full of sights and sounds and smells, and they all excite us. The shoes on the wall in the footlocker, the look on the mannequin at J. Crew, or the smell wafting from the Cinnabon. Right? You're there, right? You're there right now. None of those things are necessary for your life. And yet in the mall, in this tactile, embodied world of beautiful things, our love is aflame. Capitalism sizzles when it manufactures and distorts our desires. And now, now today, we don't even have to get off our butt and go to the mall. Some really clever folks have figured out a way to manipulate our desire without us ever getting off our buttocks. We carry this little machine in our pockets that tracks every place that we visit, every article that we read, every web page and social media post that comes in front of our eyes. It's all about shaping your desire. Is it for the good? Is it helping you love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself? Now, I'm not here this morning to make you feel ashamed about your phone. But what I want you to pay attention to is what and who are forming you and what you love. Do you have a community of formation around you? What systems and structures have you put around you that will teach you and encourage you in the practice of resurrection? Is it this or is it this? So much is at stake in the answer to this question. I hope and pray that this church community is a community of formation for you. And it will be if we all agree together this morning that we are going to stay close to this old, old formula of beloved community that comes straight from the book of Acts. 
they got it right. They dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a learning community for crying out loud. When we pick up the scriptures and we read and interpret them together and share our insights, we are a learning community. When we engage theology from St. Augustine to James Cone, we're a learning community. When we sit with Julian of Norwich and, and hold silence with the mystics, we are learning. When we drag our kids to Sunday school, even though they don't want to, we do it because learning about Jesus matters just as much as math or English. It's true. When our middle school students have the chance to ask every single one of their impertinent questions and have them taken seriously, we become a learning community. When we learn about critical race theory and the abolition movement and talk about how the spirit of God is at work in each, when our learning directs us toward action, all of that is dedication to the apostles' teaching and it forms our hearts to love the truth. The second thing we got to keep doing is breaking bread together. It's time to get back to potlucks, people. Right? Some of you are excited about this. Some of you are like, jello, right? But there are cobwebs growing between our social relationships. I can't tell you how much joy it gave me to sit at the Topples house on Monday, Thursday with three generations of North Decatur folks sitting there and breaking bread together. Our understanding of breaking bread together, of course, is also informed by what happens at this table. Whenever we break bread, we share communion with the resurrected Christ. Every time we come to the table together, whether it's communion or whether it's a potluck, every time we see how wildly inclusive God's love is, it, it, it brings every one of us to the table. Breaking bread informs everything from our politics to our family life. At the table, our hearts are formed to love everyone and welcome everyone. We got to keep meeting each other's needs too, right? That's what that first community did. They shared their goods. They sold off what they didn't need so that everyone's needs were met. This might be the hardest one of all. Beloved, community forms us by rewiring our brains from capitalist economics to God's economics. In beloved community, we're asked to consider, we're, we're expected to consider the needs of all of God's children, all of our neighbors, no matter who they are. Here we stop dwelling on what it is that we want and we start asking, what do I have to share? Who needs childcare? Who needs a meal? Who needs a month's rent? Who needs a shoulder to cry on? And that impulse doesn't end on the boundaries of this community's membership. Generosity moves outward in concentric circles. Who needs a visit in the hospital or in the prison? Who needs a second chance? Who needs healthcare? Who needs a tax cut and who does not? Here, our hearts are formed to give until the day when no one has a need. 
And last but not least, we better keep praying. Prayer takes so many different forms, and we've probably practiced 78% of them here in this congregation. We've done body prayers and sung prayers and spoken prayers and silent prayers. There's no right or wrong way to pray, but if I've learned one thing about prayer, it's how we invite God to shape our desire. We tend to think about prayer as a piling up of our own words, and we should bring everything to God in prayer, but the deeper part of prayer, the impactful part of prayer, I think, is when we start listening when we stop speaking and start listening for the voice of God, which is always whispering to you God's desire, speaking to you, God's desire for you, to you. Prayer is letting our love be formed by God's love. Friends, there was a moment 2,000 years ago when a group of people sat in a room and they wondered, what on earth does it mean to practice resurrection? What would it look like for us to be full of life? By the Spirit's leading, they created and they committed themselves to be a community of formation. It worked. It still works. Thanks be to God. Amen.